You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all things geeky outside of Star Trek. I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me, Citizen Christy Morris. Oh, thank you. Yes, I would be a citizen. Thank you. I, I would give it all for my country. That's good. That's good. I'm I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I'm working on it. So yeah. not quite made it through boot camp yet. But um, yeah, that's my plan is to be a citizen. Never just a civilian because they're lame. oh man tonight's gonna be a lot of fun uh we are gonna be diving in to starship troopers from 1997 so it's been a hot minute Mm -hmm. um but uh before we get there uh we had a contest that we were doing to follow us on twitter and instagram because we have our brand new handles there on twitter and Instagram, so please do follow us when you have a chance. Um, get on over there, follow at the 602 Club on Twitter, and on Instagram, we're at the 602 Club TFM. And so put all of those things together, and I drew a winner, and I'm really excited to say that our winner, Christy, is Amy Shaw. Yay! And what's really fun about this is that I always like it when like somebody that I've kind of known online for a long time wins a contest because they followed me somewhere. And uh, Amy's been following me for a very long time since I started blogging. And so oh, that's awesome. it's so cool that, that she's the one I end up drawing. So I'm really excited for her. So Amy, send us a DM and we'll get you that $25 gift card to amazon so but yeah please do hit us up on social media and follow us because obviously all things the 602 club will be coming at you plus plenty of great uh, geek news and um yeah we just love interacting with you guys so uh you can also uh find the entire network uh at trek fm on twitter we're on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm you can also go to our listeners only discussion group on facebook and that's called the Babel Conference. You can talk with listeners all over the world about everything that's going on in the network. Go to Trek.fm and you can find our website, which has every single show that we're doing here on the network, plus, of course, the 602 Club. And you can go to the contact section and you can send Chrissy and I an email. And we would love to say a huge thank you to our shows and producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. We really appreciate them supporting the network and this show each and every week to make sure that it keeps coming to you. It's a large network and everything we're doing costs a lot to put together. And so we need your help. Go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you can see how you can be part of our team. We have some great contribution levels, but in the end, every little bit helps. So again, that's patreon.com slash trekfm. And so, Christy, um, as we mentioned, we're going to be talking about uh, Starship Troopers. Would you like to know more? Um, we're, what's really interesting about this is, you know, this was a book 
before it was a movie. And mm-hmm. so as we kind of like look at like book to screen, I wanted to know, is this a book that you have ever read before? Never read the book, actually. I saw the movie before multiple times. Uh, another thing I watched with my dad. I think he skipped over some of this stuff when I was younger, though. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> Maybe a certain shower scene or... <laughs> yeah, you know, some of the risky stuff. But uh, yeah, so never read the book. What about you? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, this is a book that I've read a couple times now, and I actually just finished rereading it because I kind of wanted to be able to kind of compare and contrast the the movie and the book a little bit because, you know, this is a very famous book by Robert Heinlein. Um, this won the Hugo Award uh, mm-hmm. as a novel. He's a very popular science fiction writer. And... Um, people may have read Stranger in a Strange Land, which is another famous book of his. And um, so Watershed book and and one that kind of caused some controversy when it came out because of the subject matter and people taking it a certain way as well. And um, so what I thought was most interesting about rereading the book and doing some research about the the film was that... um, Ed Niermeyer, who wrote the movie, had been a fan of this book since childhood. And Paul Verhoeven, who directed the movie, well, he attempted to read the book, but he found it bore. He was bored and depressed reading it, and he only read a few chapters. So oh. he said he he actually, this is a quote, he said, I stopped after two chapters because it was so boring. It's really quite bad book. I asked Ed Niermeyer to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. And so I thought that this was really, really interesting that the director of this this material, this very popular, very famous Hugo Award winning book, one, hasn't even really read the book. And so two, all of his opinions based on the book are from somebody telling him about the book through their perspective. Mm hmm. Which is not a really accurate way to experience any book. <laughs> right? Right? So, yeah, I mean, that that really actually makes me look at it now after rewatching again through a different lens because you're going, okay, maybe there's some things here and there where the directing could have been better, although the screenplay was good, possibly. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> So what I think is so interesting about this whole thing is that the difference between the novel and the movie are quite extensive. Um, And the book has been accused of being something that promotes militarism and fascism and military rule. And the film is supposed to satirize, you know, be a satire of these concepts by being overly bombastic and, you know... um, we were joking beforehand, you know, that they do the, do you want to know more? You know, the big mm-hmm. propaganda pieces, like this whole thing is meant to feel like a one big propaganda piece that you mm-hmm. might see uh, in an ultra, what they would consider fascist society where the military rules. And I, I don't know. I think what's, if, if I look at the movie that way, the problem is, is that the source material, that's not exactly what Heinlein's doing in his book. And so it's like you're satirizing something that you haven't actually read 
and you that means you don't truly understand it. So the the screenplay writer, you know, this is something he said he was a fan of since he was a kid. He read it when he was like twelve, but the director, I don't think understands the book, and I honestly, I feel like they feel like the book has a certain bent and so they're making fun of all of that or they're trying to at least. Mm-hmm. And when I look at it in that lens, I just don't think it works because they don't actually understand what they're satirizing. At least that's my feeling watching the movie. And so basically you're saying the book does not have the satirical tone like the screenplay does. No, I mean, the book is a much more straightforward story. Um, You know, what Heinlein's doing is kind of in response to some of the things that he sees. Mm -hmm. And it's much more nuanced what he's doing. Um, And again, there isn't really that satirical nature to it that they've added to the movie. Um, And it's more of a straightforward story in the sense that, like, you know the the movie has big differences from the book where they they add all of the subplots with the romance stuff really mm-hmm. um you know between the different characters and um then of course the movie makes a big jump from the book where it adds women into the mobile infantry whereas in the book that doesn't exist so you add this whole other layer of things happening that don't really adequately portray what's being done in the book Mm -hmm. um and then there's much more exploration of like in the book like how we got from where we were in like the the 20th century when this book was written it's you know the late 20th century into the world and existence that they have now and why they went from where we were then to where we are now in the book and this movie doesn't do any of that either, too. You know, like it skips over mm-hmm. all that stuff and it just kind of is straight up satirizing what it thinks of is that this book is promoting just a pure, like, basically if Hitler... I was watching the extras on the the uh, 4K edition and they were talking about, like, you know, this is basically they created a world where Hitler won the war and this is, like, the perfect, you know, fascist regime, you know Mm -hmm. um so it's like but that's not really what the book is saying and or doing and so it's like you're satirizing something that the book isn't doing right you're using the the wrong uh references (laughs) yes 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 so i just found that really really interesting that bringing this from book to screen you have all of this stuff happening behind the the background and, you know, even when it came out, many people didn't really realize this is a, a satire. Um, and so it was kind of like the people behind the screen, like Verhoeven, kind of got bashed for creating this this Nazi propaganda that people thought it was. Mm. Um, not realizing, you know, not getting the joke. Um, and so it's. It, I think to me, that's what's so funny is that this doesn't truly work as satire because they don't understand what they're trying to satirize Mm -hmm. and it creates kind of a problem when you try and view this movie as anything other than a big sci-fi b movie yeah you know does that i mean do you see what i'm saying 
Yeah. Oh, that that makes complete sense. The the big thing I'm trying to understand since I haven't read the book is was the original intention by the author for it to be a satirical piece? Or was it more a romanticizing of what the military does? Yeah, it's it's not so much romanticizing even what the military does, and it's not so much a, a satirical book. It's dealing with um, the themes of a lot of issues that Heinlein saw after uh, Vietnam and during Vietnam. Okay. And the treatment of soldiers and everything. Um, and it's just, it's really interesting. And it's, again, I think the thing that I come away with having just reread the book is how much more nuanced it is. Like, there's so much more nuance to what they're doing. Like, and it's, so really, not it's just straight two up, different like, things. It's not straight up telling you just what you should think for reading it like and and i think this movie on the other hand with the the satirical nature that they're going with they're trying to tell you what to think about things whereas the book doesn't necessarily do that okay um so yeah i just think that's it's just fascinating to me it was just fascinating to to get behind the scenes and like look at all the stuff and i apologize because i kind of monologued for a while about things but i'd be really interested to see what other people think uh about reading you know, the book as opposed to the movie and then watching the movie. Um, so for you, for somebody who hasn't read the book and you're just watching the movie, what, it, I mean, I, I wonder kind of then what your response is to this kind of big bombastic propaganda like sci-fi movie. I would say first and foremost, the things that you notice with the way that they bring words up on the screen and you feel many times like you're a, um, an outsider using a computer learning about the military. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can tell automatically that you shouldn't take this movie seriously at all. That the whole thing is, you can tell, like you're saying, that that tone of poking fun at propaganda itself by using outlandishly silly propaganda. And that it's all about showing that. Of course, you know, there should be more respect for soldiers and what they do and the sacrifice that they make. And I totally have always felt that way. It's just also saying that if it got to this extreme of military rule and of, you know, then going to war with the entire galaxy, basically, where does it end kind of thing? Um, So I feel like it can have a double meaning where it has these deeper issues to make you think, but uh, in general is supposed to be just a completely ridiculous sci-fi B movie. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, that's the way in the end it's worked the best as a movie, you know, like that this is just big bombastic, you know, uh, Michael Bay level, type of material right where mm-hmm. it is it is meant to be something that you're having just a good old-fashioned time with and again like that that you know we keep saying it, but that sci-fi b movie where you know you are watching people fight big nasty aliens and you're not taking anything very seriously whatsoever you know and so i, mm-hmm. I really do i think it does work best when viewed that way mainly because when you start to try and pull it apart 
as to how the filmmakers um, wanted the, the, the movie to work. It doesn't really work that well, even if you haven't read the book, I don't think. Like, um, yeah, like you could just rip it apart so. if you're trying to use it as a serious piece of film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a meaningful film, Matt. How dare you? <laughs> so it is. It is. Um, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. I did have a question. does think it is amazing, fool, I apologize. <laughs> right. I did have a question for you, though. One thing that did come up multiple times that you and I were kind of joking about was the their difference between a civilian and a citizen and how it does seem to be possibly a belief that I would think maybe the original book author had had. You can tell me um, mm-hmm. that it was almost like someone didn't have the right to become a legitimate American citizen or citizen of any country for that matter, possibly unless you were willing to register and fight in the military, either as a pilot or an infantry member or something, but that they really looked down on people that weren't willing to do that. And just because I respect people in the military doesn't mean that I think I'm capable of being a good soldier or pilot or anything like that. I think the people that are good at that can go do it if they want to. But you know what I mean? No, I think that's a really good question because the whole idea of citizenship through service is definitely, like you say, they, they even put that out, you know, uh, service guarantees citizenship. Yeah. So, yeah, that I mean, that is a big part of the the book. Um, you know, that's something that uh, the movie does touch on here, this this idea. And I, I that, you know, also citizenship equals the ability to vote then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in the book, it's it's laid out a little bit more where you have you have people like they're um, they're a part of the Federation, but there's that. Uh, so they're they they're, you know, they're they're able to live there and everything. But the, the person who is a citizen, you are guaranteed not only the right to vote, but you could also be in politics. So there is like that next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and that next level requires service. And so, you know, I think they touch on this really well in the funeral scene for Dizzy where they say, you know, um, Rico's like, you know, someone once asked me if I knew the difference between uh, a civilian and a citizen. And a, he said, you know, I know now that a, civ- a citizen has the courage to make the safety of the human race their personal responsibility. And like, to me within the book as well, this whole idea really comes up of its responsibility um, because they talk earlier in the movie about this idea of, of violence and whether or not violence does anything mm-hmm. um, or, and in the end, the, the book considers the ability to vote and to control government, the ultimate form of violence because you're in a way you are, you're making something move in a direction on purpose mm-hmm. um, through your action. So that action can be a violent move, not necessarily like somebody beating somebody, but right, it's like but you can have out. a major course correction through voting um, that, and that requires responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so um, to me, it, you know, it's something I, th- I find fascinating about the book, this whole idea but I also think it's really interesting because it it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of, you know, 
uh, in the Bible in John where it says, you know, greater love has no person than this, that one who lays his life down for his friends, mm-hmm. you know, and it kind of feels like this idea of responsibility. The ultimate responsibility is being willing to give your life for something. And if you're willing to do that, then you're you're somebody then who can be trusted then with what the book would consider the ultimate responsibility of leading that mm-hmm. way. Um, and and because in the end it's through, I mean, servant leadership, you're willing to put your own life on the line and not everybody's willing to do that. Um, and so, yeah, I think it that's the best part of the movie is is that little layer that we only see a little bit of, but I find it utterly fascinating because it seems like uh, it's something, it's definitely worth a debate. And I, I do definitely get that there are some merits to it. I guess the thing that bothered me that I feel like is just wrong is that you can't vote unless you're also a member of the military. That part I disagreed with. Well, and and so, you know, for for them, you you don't get the right if I'm you don't get the right to vote until you're out of the military, like you've completed your service. Mm-hmm. So, like you um you 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 have a run of service in the in the military, and right, that like guarantees citizenship. And once you become the citizen, after you're out of the military, I mean, you can be a career military person. Um, but once you are out of the military, um, you then have the right to vote. So it's it's more about, again, I guess I, I would take it as more of the personal responsibility to take mm-hmm. that on your shoulders. And then after that, you then have the responsibility to vote. Um, so it's a really, I guess, taking it super seriously. Mm-hmm. Um the the right to vote the right to to move an entire civilization one way or another um and so yeah i think it just again to me it just makes sense because like it seems strange to me we live in a country where like so many people don't even bother to vote and right. it's like a privilege to do so like we have the ability to impact one way or the other how our country goes we really do and that so many people don't even see it as worth taking the time to do Mm -hmm. um so this takes it to the other extreme which is like yeah you have to earn that right like yeah by being willing to to give your life for i will that cause i will to add one thing to that just because this is so applicable to this whole situation. I read a quote recently that said, if you think you're too small to make a difference, you never spend a night alone with a mosquito. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. No, go that's, vote. that's good. I like that. I know. I love that. That's great. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I do think that's to me, like having reread the book there and then I'm watching the movie, you know, and and being it where we are here, we're in 2020, we're we're hitting a presidential election. You know, elections mm-hmm. are very important. And you know the way in which, um, there's there's this cavalier attitude towards like our vote. You know, um, this this this. I mean, obviously, I don't think this is necessarily the answer, right? But 
it's it's just something that makes me think, right? Um, and it, it, I think it's worth thinking about. I think that's one of the things about the the book and and itself is is so thought provoking. Um, you know, you might not agree with the ideas or whatever, but it it I think it's it's definitely worth wrestling with. Um, yeah. We take for granted, you know, and it's kind of hard to take something for granted when you've been willing to die for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm glad that we got to talk about something as deep as that. And we just said this wasn't yes. a meaningful <laughs> Especially film. Especially with the rest of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that one piece is meaningful. That's it. Um. So this, so the movie, in many ways, again, this is something that they completely changed from the book where they, they kind of make all the reasons most of these characters end up going to war about a love triangle's you know, um, especially with Diz and Enrico and Carmen, um, you know, Carmen was always going to go try out for the military, but then Rico gets dragged into it. And then Diz kind of seems to get dragged into it, you know, and it just creates this, this whole reason that we're going to go do this life altering thing is because of quote unquote love. Um, and man, you know, I, it's funny because, you know, honestly, kind of another serious thing is like how many kids go and do something like they go to a college because the person that they thought they loved was going to that college yeah and it's sad too because then there's situations like this where maybe he didn't know at first that uh before he registered that they were going into different divisions and so he's thinking even we're going to join the military and be in it together all the time. And then turns out she's going to be a pilot. But no, she mentioned she was going to be a pilot before they registered. And anyway, it just yeah. seemed weird yeah. to me. No, I mean, it is in like um, it, it what, what's 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 interesting about it, too. And, and I find is that this is part of the way in which I think the movie takes away from anything super serious it wants to say by making everything about these like melodramatic love triangles mm-hmm. instead of these important issues of like wrestling with you know do I want citizenship and should I serve you know all of those kind of things all of those questions you know uh in the book for Rico it's it's much more about um not wanting what he, I mean, he is a rich uh, kid, you know, not wanting what his, his parents want, you know, mm-hmm. uh, for him. And, and so trying to, to spread his wings and, and find his own way. Um, and, and even that gets kind of downplayed here because he's basically, he even admits it in the movie and like he's following Carmen. Um, but then at the same time, he does end up finding what he feels like he's really good at. You know, like mm-hmm. he thrives in the military um, and he thrives in, in being a soldier. Uh, and I thought that that was really interesting as well, um, because, you know, even in the course of making those type of decisions, life can still lead you to where you're supposed to be. Yeah, like it did end up causing him to have to grow up and let go of childish things and realize what was important in life as a whole and so it's really like instead of just going off to college and doing what his parents wanted him to do by following his own path and making some mistakes 
he learned the same lessons that they wanted him to learn. You know, because his mother was even saying, you're just going to do this because some girl thinks that you look handsome in a uniform. And he brushes it off like, oh, no, I'm not, mom. But he was. He knew. So, yeah, I, I like that they bring that up and show, you know, like you were saying, too, that he then determines what he's actually really good at and that the way he did plays in football and that was able to work with a team and lead a team led to him being able to be a leader in the military and making him a terrible mistake, by the way, when it got real serious with that one team member of his that died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was the moment when I was like, okay, maybe it was a more serious movie than I remembered <laughs> because that was painful. Right. No, absolutely. I think you're so right in pulling that out because, you know, I do think that that is one of the movies, uh, the moments in the movie that kind of connect with this idea of like personal responsibility, Mm -hmm. you know, that you take personal responsibility for your actions. And one of the things I think that we do see with, you know, Rico as a character is that he does become somebody who's ultimately willing to take responsibility for the actions that he uh, he does, you know, not only for himself, but also in his leadership of others. And, you know, in the end, I you know, when we're kind of talk about that idea of citizenship through service, like. Isn't that kind of what you want is somebody who's not just thinking about themselves, but like the ultimate bit of service here is that you're thinking about the the greater human race. You know, when you're in the trenches with somebody, you know, many people that have been to war, many, many people will say it's not about, you know, the reason you're there. It's about the the person beside you. Yeah. You know, so and that plays out here then um with Rico's development you know it goes from just being about in love with somebody uh to be there and it really becomes about him being there because he wants to be there and because he wants to be the best soldier he can be in the end there were uh, a couple of things though since we're talking about the inconsistencies between the book and the movie uh or just you know the things that were so outlandish about this movie uh for one it was weird to me that uh, Clancy Brown as, you know, the career sergeant or private Zim that was originally leading um, Rico's group in training is actually hurting his own soldiers before they've ever actually seen a battle. And it, I just don't think that that uh, makes common sense because you need them to be in top shape for the fight. I think and this would be something I think somebody who's been in the military would have more, um, had a better ability to, to talk about. But I really do think that, you know, classically we see in, in, in films and whatever drill sergeants, you know, the whole idea is to wear people down. Mm-hmm. Um, it is in the book. One of the things that they're doing is that they are trying to give people every reason to leave. They're weeding out, people who don't really belong there. Okay. Um, and so that's the goal is to make sure that you get rid of the people who shouldn't really be in the military in the first place. You know, you need the people who are going to be able to be in the trenches um, and in, in a battle and um, not flinch. 
you know, mm-hmm. to, and, and so, and, and what's interesting is like in the movie, it kind of portrays, you know, even when they finally get to their big first battle on Clan Dathu, um, you know, you see a few people where it's like, they're, they're doing what they're supposed to. And then you have those other people and you have like that one female soldier who runs away and ends up getting killed because nobody else is around her when she runs into a bug and she can't take it on herself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think that's kind of what they're going for. Absolutely, though, I think um, they they go way over the top on purpose uh, with with the satirical nature that they're trying to portray of, you know, this type of military. I, I, I do think that that's the other thing that we're seeing is like it's 100 percent completely over the top in just about any way possible. So. Right. Like uh, even to the point of um, having both sexes share the same showers in the military. I'm going that no one would ever leave the shower. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I I think, um, you know, it is one of the things that I believe that kind of in some ways hurts the movie um, is because it is this really unrealistic view of uh people in a military it, like you said that that just wouldn't happen you there's right. no way that you could have both sexes in in the shower and not have all sorts of things happening in yeah. the shower i you, you know um, and even aside from that like you need people to focus on the issue at hand which is the fight coming up and that doesn't really help your cause. So, yeah. Um, right, right. And obviously, you know, you know, even today, we, you know, we have female soldiers and, and everything, but they're not sharing the same showers as the men, you know, for right. a good reason. Um, so, yeah, this this part. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Just doesn't make any sense whatsoever to kind of have both sexes in the same shower uh, at the same time. Like maybe they use the same showers, but they do it at different times. That would make more right. sense. Yeah. Uh, and in the book, women are actually the pilots. Um, they, they, they talk about that women make better pilots. Uh, they have better reflexes, uh, better instincts and those kind of things. So they are Smarter. pilots, but even on the ships, um, they are segregated. Um, and the only, uh, people that get to uh, intermingle on the ship um, are the officers. And it's in a really um, uh, controlled way. Like they have a very mm. formal dinner together um, when they have dinner together. And, and so it, it's, it's very polite and appropriate. There's no, you know, hanky panky going on. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they can do whatever they want when they're on leave and stuff. Um, but yeah, there isn't anything like that happening. Um, yeah, and it just, it, yeah, it just wouldn't work. So. Yeah. And then the other thing that I uh, don't know if you noticed was that they broke their own rules a lot about who got uh, tissue regeneration and who was stuck with no limbs or metal limbs. Yeah, it seemed weird. Yeah. It was like, well, Rico's better looking than you guys, so he gets the tissue regrowth, and y'all just get metal. <laughs> Yeah, and I wonder um my only my only thought on that is that is it a case where that person legitimately like that arm got torn off and there wasn't a way to regenerate the tissue because like with Rico's leg he gets stabbed 
Mm-hmm. And so there's a way to to regenerate the tissue around that because he didn't lose an entire leg. But like if you lost an entire arm and that arm was mutilated, there may not be a way to save that arm. That's my just... only guess there. But I do think that you do kind of have a point. It's like it does seem a little bit arbitrary, the things that they can save and the things they can't save. So Right. Well, uh, like even um, toward the end with Michael Ironside saying, you know, both my legs are gone. Just kill me. (laughs) It's like, right. But the ship is right there. We could save you. Right. And we have seen people, you know, like at the very beginning, the guy who welcomed in into the mobile interim feet. Right. The mobile infantry. He lost both of his legs. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It just seems kind of silly. There's a lot of things that are kind of like. This is where I think the movie is best when you just take it as a big, silly B-movie. You yeah. Know, and you don't take anything too seriously. Except for the bugs, which are awesome. Except for the bugs. So um, so I, one of the interesting things about this movie is that a lot of these people, you know, especially playing our leads, they're unknowns. Like, they, the, a lot of these people had not really been in much beforehand. Um, I think the only thing I'd seen Dinah Meyer in, who plays Dizzy, uh, is Dragonheart. And I'd never seen Casper in anything. Um, I'm trying to remember if I had seen Denise Richards at this point in anything. Because this oh, is well. before, like, Wild Things. This is before the world is not enough, you know? Like, I don't think I really had that I can remember. So Was she the one in Blue Lagoon? No, that's Brooke Shields. Okay, I'm getting my people confused. Yeah. Yeah, getting your 80s movies confused. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, the only one here that I was really familiar with when I saw this movie, I think, was, like, Neil Patrick Harris. Mm-hmm. You know, because he had been Doogie Hauser. So, um, and uh, yeah, what did you, I mean, what do you think of the cast here in this movie? It was really surprising, especially on the rewatch. There were people that I guess when I originally had seen this, I wouldn't have known about either. And now at this point, I've seen in so many other movies, like Amy Smart makes a couple of appearances in yeah, this movie. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, knew Clancy Brown from things like Highlander. Um, he's also recently made a reappearance in a show called The Goldbergs as one of the teachers where they actually have nice. a Highlander club. <laughs> it's really cute. Um, and uh, I can't think of anything else I had seen Casper in, but he looks very familiar. But um, yeah, and then actually both Dina Meyer and Denise Richards made appearances in Friends. Oh, you're right. You're yep. right. But I'm trying to remember if if uh, Denise Richards had been in Friends at that point. That's a great... Because, yeah, doesn't she play the sister of Rachel, maybe? I think so. I think she's Rachel's older sister and Reese Witherspoon was her <gasps> no, younger no, no, sister. No, no, she's his cousin. Their cousin, right? And the, the, the one that Ross thinks likes him like later in one of the later seasons and like yeah. that they're mm-hmm. going to actually like get it on. Yeah. Anyway, Every time she flips her hair, friends, they play Barry White music. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, no, I, yeah. yeah, you're right. And I, I think, I think this is, that's after this, but you're right. Like th- a lot of these actors go on to do other things. Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, obviously Neil Patrick Harris 
becomes like a phenomenon, you know, I mean, he does like how I met your mother. He does Broadway, you know, um, yeah. you have, uh, Dinah Meyer. She was in a uh, Star Trek nemesis. Um, she's in a bunch of other things. Um, uh, Brenda Strong, who played the captain, uh, the, the Navy captain, mm-hmm. so she was in a show called Everwood that I loved. Um, you know, like Clancy Brown and Michael Ironside have been in just about everything, I feel like. I know where I know Brenda Strong from now, and you're going to kill me. Oh, where? Where? Desperate Housewives. Oh, nice. Yes, you're right. Absolutely. She is yeah, the narrator. I, only, I think watched maybe one season of that show, so I wasn't as familiar with that. But Well, you're not yeah, the demographic, right. so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I, one of the things, you know, obviously in the movie, they, uh, in the uh, extras I was watching, they talk about, you know, they really wanted a young, beautiful cast for what they're going for, you know, uh, and they, and they wanted this to feel like these characters were kind of like empty that could be controlled by this, you know, propaganda machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, What's interesting is they say that, but, you know, I, f- I personally, I feel the love story between, you know, the unrequited love story between Dinah Meyer and Casper, you know, mm-hmm. Rico and Dizzy. Um, I feel the, the whole tension of the fact that, you know, Rico is more in love with, you know, uh, Carmen than she is with him because mm-hmm. she's more in love with what she wants to do in life. That main love triangle i feel like they pull off really well i think the only thing that felt really kind of cliched in that is that th- the deaths for dizzy and then xander who is with um carmen on the ship they they happen so quickly and so close together that it just doesn't feel right for the movie it's like you yeah. had all this time us investing in these characters and then you like immediately killed dizzy and then, like, five minutes later, you killed Xander, and it's just like, okay, like, I, you, you, the one thing I felt like you're kind of doing a little bit well, you just undercut yourself in. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm like, that was kind of the whole point where it started out like a silly romance love triangle or square, whatever, um, but it, they were trying to, it seemed, turn it into a more serious love story. Because you do feel that, I think because Dinah Meyer is such a good actress, um, you really understand that feeling on her end. Um, but I yep, think yep. that, yeah, they, they, they try to make them have heroic deaths. You know, like they're going down in a blaze of glory, especially with Dinah because she was, you know, had just bombed one of the giant bugs and they were celebrating and then he goes, no. Um, but yeah, it, it does undo that. And it, it mm-hmm. doesn't feel like heroic deaths because you spend all this build up getting to know them and then just suddenly stab them and they're gone. So, yeah, I, I think it would have been better if they had let them live, but maybe just get wounded. Um, And that last yeah. bug, I can deal with a lot of gross, but that last bug. Bleh. <laughs> The smart bug. I, that's a good. I think you you we should segue into the bugs and their effects and everything. Okay. Um, and just the effects overall. You know, I mean, obviously this movie came out in ninety seven. So, but yeah, I mean, does that does that still all work for you? What do you? I mean, what do you think of all that? 
they were the best part. I was shocked at how good the CG still holds up for all of the bugs for a movie that's over 20 years old now. You know, like, especially if you're looking at the arachnids, they look awesome. Like, that's the the most memorable thing for me always about this movie. When someone says Starship Troopers, I go, oh, the bugs that look like the uh, the movie slate. No, I I think you're, you know, um, you're absolutely right. Like, the bugs are perfect in the sense that they look disgusting. And um, there's almost like a toy-like nature to them. Which mm-hmm. I think kind of works for this movie. Again, this this crazy sci-fi B movie, it works to have the bugs feel. I mean, we all know they're CGI, but yeah. you know, um, the other effects work that they do with them, like when like Rico's on top of one and he's shooting it, you know, and everything. Like, you know, he's shooting something real because of the interaction that you're getting. Uh, you know, he and 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 then they would do the CGI work to put it all together. And yeah, I think, I think absolutely it still feels pretty good. And again, part of it is we know we're watching a movie from a certain time period, but like, you know, even the space stuff with the ships and everything doesn't look bad. Um, You know, it definitely looks like older CGI, but it's not to the point where you're just like watching Babylon 5. No, I think that it was also, they were just really unique. I mean, I know I make mm-hmm. fun of how they look, but it's only because they they look silly, but in a cool way. I've never seen a bug like that before or since. <laughs> and then especially the smart bug. I just, I want to know at any point, did you feel like you were going to puke? No, no. And I think part of it is because uh, the movie's so fake in that way. Like everything is... Like the blood, you can tell it's just like... Yeah, I mean, the blood and, and, and just the things that are splattering on them, you know, all of that mm-hmm. is just super fake. Um, and it, it feels more like that double dare on Nickelodeon. Yeah, there's green slime, there's orange slime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, exactly. So that's, I mean, I, I that's what I feel when I watch this movie. I don't feel like anything's really disgusting. And I mean, even the, the over-the-top, quote-unquote, gore and stuff you get in the movie, like, it's so over-the-top and fake that I don't feel weird about it or it's, you know, like, it's just, it's but super over-the-top and fake. Stuff? The brain stuff? Yeah, that was kind of gross. That was That's like... a little bit gross. Yeah, it just, for me, I'm like, I would rather you um, insinuate rather than just show me the hole in the guy's head and then, mm-hmm. you know, show me Xander dying the same way and then, you know, just watching the whole eating happening. It, uh, I can't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that stuff is pretty gross. Um, yeah. And I think... Uh, again, like almost like the double dare nature of it. Like we, it's gross, but not in a way that makes you want to throw up. You're just like, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's it's watchable still. <laughs> it's watchable, gross. <laughs> yeah, still disgusting to me. Now face huggers, that's watchable, gross. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call those little things from the xenomorph and aliens. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um yeah, I know. I mean, 
I think what's what is pretty fascinating about this movie is that there is so much of it that is still very grounded. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of the battles they're having are in real places. You know, they're filming in real locations and then they're adding all the CGI to that. You know, they're not doing tons of, you know, you're not you're not doing tons of digital background work and everything like you're just putting in CGI bugs on basically a location in earth, you know? So, and a lot of that I think is what makes it still look more real. So one of the things that I really do like about this movie and part of it is cause I really like Basil Polidorus, uh, who did the soundtrack and he did uh, Hunt for October. But I think he does a great job of picking up on the kind of like bombastic feel of a sci-fi B-movie. Plus kind of like the the rah-rah propaganda go get ness of it. And I just really, I've enjoyed, I've been listening to it uh, over the last week. And I, it's a good soundtrack. And he's definitely somebody I think... Um, that I've been listening to more of because um, I realized, you know, he did this movie and then uh, he also did the Les Mis with that um, Liam Neeson was in, which was, it's my favorite version of the movie and the music in that mm. movie is fana- fantastic. So I really uh, enjoy the soundtrack. Yeah. I think it most uh, jumped out to me with the, do you want to know more? A little propaganda mm-hmm. scenes it it does really suit everything going on with the, the satire of the movie. And I think that definitely calling out Hunt for Red October 2 is a, another past credit for him. I've got a lot of respect for him as well. Um, I I enjoyed it. I think that it it just works. It feels like he really knows what he's trying to get across. You know, it's not... Mm-hmm. It's not taking itself too seriously, but it is also still bringing out that ridiculous, huge, you know, like you bombastic, like you were saying, nature of what's happening. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, and I'm I'm glad you liked it, too. It And, um, you know, he he did like Conan the Barbarian. You know, he he's done so many different things and just uh, he, he's a really good composer for soundtracks and so it was great to see um you know uh and get to hear his his music here so so i guess it all comes down to this christy as we've been talking to about this uh, what you would rate starship troopers so after really thinking about it i think that it deserves a crazy b movie rating for being what it is i give it a three and a half out of five angry arachnids because <laughs> it's still really fun i would always go back and rewatch it i mean you and i you know have laughed about it so much it and it's because you know what it is I, I think if you go into it knowing that it's going to be a little ridiculous or a lot ridiculous um and you're gonna laugh then you're gonna walk away happy um, or at least happy and a little grossed out. But, you know, I, I really think about when I think about this movie, not only the bugs, but the scene where um, Jake Busey sees the guy who they had found in the fridge freaking out yes. about something and be the first one to get killed by the invading bugs again. You see Jake Busey laugh in the movie when that happens. 
and you, you think to yourself, that is kind of funny. And then you're like, oh, I'm a terrible person. But it was kind of funny. <laughs> it's true. No, it's true. No, I, I'm right there with you. I mean, I think there's something to be said for having a goofy movie, you know, and mm-hmm. and that it's just big and silly and loud. And, um, you know, I think there's, there's something to be said for that. There's a place for those type of movies. And I think when I... You know, if I put away all the things from which I luckily can where all the differences from the book and I watch it in that with that those lenses on to me, it's a very enjoyable, fun, silly movie. And that's to me absolutely okay. I do not need every single movie I watch to have the strongest messages, morals and meanings to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is there is a place for goofy humor and silliness and i think this movie is full of that in many ways and so i'm right there with you i would give this four out of five shower scenes um (laughs) just because it is a movie that i can go back and watch repeatedly just because of the goofiness to it and um i enjoy it you know for that reason and i'm i'm thankful to have those type of movies so which that leads us to the fact that we need some recommendations this week, Christy. So I'm super excited to hear what you want to recommend. So I'm actually going to recommend something that I rediscovered was apparently on HBO Max. It's quickly becoming my favorite streaming platform because there's all these things that just are browsing around to see what they've got. I'm going, oh my gosh, they have this. (gasps) They have this and adding them to my list. One of the things they added was Flight of the Concords, and I know nice. that you love them, but for anyone else so that you're doesn't it's know, it's business time. Yes, uh, or you know um, that Brett's got it going on. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, but, you're yeah. the most beautiful girl in this Zoom meeting. So in the whole wide room. Yeah, this whole wide room. So, <laughs> But yeah, so if you haven't seen it, it's uh, two guys from New Zealand who are just trying to make it as a duo band in New York City. And it's hilarious because they, you know, laugh at themselves and dif- the difference in pronunciation with that accent versus an American accent. Um, and they have really great folk songs that suit the things that are happening in the show. So I highly recommend checking out Flight of the Concords. Yeah, it's hysterical. I'm right there with you. I mm-hmm. totally agree with you. It's such a funny show. Um, well, I'm going to recommend something really serious, and I believe it may be one of the most important things that I have watched in a very long time, and it's called The Social Dilemma, and it's on Netflix, and it is a documentary about the dangers of social media and the way in which we are allowing this thing that we have created with the with the technology that we have, well, not only just social media, but um, the technology itself, which is reforming our brains and making us its slave instead of us, it, a tool that we use. And it's phenomenally interesting. And part of that is because all of the people there um, that are talking on the documentary, almost all of them are behind the scenes of having created the things to which they're now um, 
talking about. So people from mm. Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and all of these places are talking about these technologies, Google and, and you know, um, so it is utterly fascinating and it might just scare you to death. And I highly encourage you to watch this, especially not just an adult, but if you're a parent, I think this is something that every parent needs to watch um, before they hand their kid a smartphone um, mm. and allow them on social media. I, I think this is this is one of the most important things that anybody can watch right now, uh, especially as a parent. So I highly recommend The Social Dilemma. I could not recommend something more uh, or think that there's actually, as we, as we talked about this ridiculously silly movie, um, I think this might be the complete antithesis to that. So, um, not to be a downer, but go watch The Social Dilemma. Uh, do yourself a favor. I think I think it's something everybody should see. So, Christy, uh, if anybody does want to catch up with you, though, on some social media, uh, <laughs> where can they find you? Great timing. <laughs> <laughs> on all those social medias well, you know, that I need to get off of. responsibly, yeah. it, it can be fun. So I uh, I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bespin Bell. And honestly, I will say, speaking of social media, TikTok for me has become a place where I really just like to go and watch other people's videos for something to laugh about, uh, because everyone there seems to be just poking fun at themselves. So, or they have cute animals doing cute things. So I recommend checking out TikTok. Um, but I, uh, and aside from the 602 Club, I do a couple of other shows. I do Sabres and Spells with my friend Teresa Delgado on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network. And we talk about tons of geeky stuff um, and just things that we feel like we never get to discuss uh, as friends that we just want to bring up. So check that out. And uh, I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network, where um, myself and five other women from around the world talk about Star Wars. And you can find me here on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Pharaoh under the name Matt Rushing Zero Two. I honestly, I don't post as much as I used to, um, but you can still find me there. And I love talking to people who, you know, listen to the show. So please reach out. Um, and I'd love to hear what you think about uh, Starship Troopers. I know Christy and I both would yeah. over there at the 602 Club on Twitter. So uh, you can also find me here on the network doing literary treks as well as the orb with Chris Jones. Literary treks is about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And the orb is about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I'm doing aggressive negotiations over on the Nerd Party Network. That's a Star Wars podcast, and John Mills and I, every week we talk about a new Star Wars topic. And before we get to Mandalorian Season 2, we are doing commentaries for every single Mandalorian episode um, as we wait that. So you'll be able to listen to every single commentary and watch it with the episodes before you get there. So super fun. So check that out. And then last but not least, doing Owl Post with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter, one chapter at a time, and we are in the Deathly Hallows. But thank you so much for joining us. And would you like to know more? 